This is Your Own Best Company, a podcast and community for creative people who value and enjoy working alone. Here we are, another episode of Your Own Best Company. I'm Franklin Taggart, and uh, my guest today is a very good friend of mine, Joni Cannell. And um, I've known Joni for several years now, and um, we have been a part of a kind of an informal group of three that get together every week and kvetch and learn and complain and and uh, and help each other and you know God God knows what else we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have really come to to respect Joni a lot. Um, in in the work that she does uh, and we're going to bring some of that to light today um, she is an organizational development uh, or excuse me organi- organizational psychologist and um, organizational consultant and um, she is also the author of flying without a helicopter and is we're going to hear about a new book coming up hopefully a little bit later and <laughs> I think I've gotten everything that I wanted to say about you, Joni. Any important things that I've forgotten? Oh, we need to let people know about uh, the name of your company. My company is Flexible Work Solutions. Yes, indeed. And FlexibleWorkSolutions.com is where you can find everything that you ever wanted to know about Joni and more. Um, She's doing some amazing work. But one of the things that I wanted to bring uh, to the program today was... um, the whole topic of assessments and quizzes and just different ways that people learn about themselves and each other. Um, Joni is a specialist in that area and brings a lot of really great insight and information to us um, about that. Um, Joni, tell us a little bit about how you started to get introduced to the whole world of assessments and uh, like type indicators and things, things of that nature. You know, it's kind of funny you ask that because I was thinking that it wasn't my intention necessarily to do so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was in uh, graduate school and I mean, I guess I've always been interested in assessments and maybe in career development and all that, but When I was in graduate school, I ended up working with um, somebody in organizational psychology who is an expert in assessment and selection. Mm -hmm. And so we learned more than you would ever want to know about it. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily what my interest was going into grad school. And it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to focus coming out, but I got so much good training, I suppose, and knowledge and experience that I've been doing it ever since. (laughs) Well, my first introduction to it was probably the one that I'm most aware of is Myers-Briggs. Now, I grew up with Mm -hmm. a dad who was a a guidance counselor. And what what that meant was that every kind of scholastic test that came down the pike, we were his guinea pigs. (laughs) So we took a lot of like, you know, performance tests and scholastic tests and achievement tests and things like that as I was growing up. But the first time that I ever remember really looking into like personality and type and things like that was when I took the Myers-Briggs in college. And I'm an INFP. 
mm-hmm. um, introvert, um, intuitive feeling and perceiving. Not that that means anything. It's probably about as useful to me as anything else. But um, <laughs> that was the first introduction that I had. And I remember just thinking, wow, isn't it interesting that they can, that they can really come that close with typing people? Because we all have this kind of a, kind of maybe a need to be unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it turns yeah. out that we're kind of like quite a few other, <laughs> quite a few other <laughs> folks. <laughs> but that was really my first introduction to it. And then, of course, that, that kind of followed the Kiersey type indicator, which was based on the Myers-Briggs and basically mm-hmm. used the same letters. And those all kind of go back to Jungian psychology for their sources but i'm kind of curious um tell tell me about the the range it seems like every day there's a new tool out tell me about the range of the tools that you use oh my goodness you're right there are so many and they are all for different purposes i would say not all but you know like you said in different classifications i mean you know, in the type of assessments, you're talking more individual, like about a person. We've also got team assessments, organizational assessments, you know, you can do that. Um, but you can look at people's behaviors. Uh, you can look at their attitudes, personality, abilities, interests. And that reminds me of, I actually, I think the first assessment I probably ever did take was the, I think it was the strong infant. Uh, interest inventory for career assessment to learn about my interests. Um, And, um, you know, I think, you know, you were asking about like the different types and what they're used for. There are a couple different things. I mean, one is to learn about yourself. And the other, when I talk about all my rigor in grad school, it's often to evaluate candidates for hiring and promoting and, and placing them in organizations. And that's a whole different set of assessment tools that, require a different level of rigor because of the legalities and of hiring and, and all that, and making sure not to have adverse impact, meaning not treating different groups differently, things like that. But, um, the different types of instruments that are out there that range from just fun ones. I mean, you know, I've done over the years now, like the Harry Potter placement, you know, and which house you belong to, <laughs> to uh, ones that are more for team building, like the Myers-Briggs. That's really about how do you interact with others? How are you similar to or different from, and how can you maybe have some empathy for another person's perspective and way of being? Um, To things that are are more about um, who you are inside, things that you may not have really thought about before. Um, to things, how good you are at things, you know, the abilities test, right? Do I have an aptitude for, you know, the arts? Should I really go into this field? Or, um, you know, then the interest is, do I have an interest in it? Which is a different story, right? You would like Mm -hmm. to have both. I would think if you're going to go into a field, um, and, um, yeah, those are, uh, the, I guess the kinds of different things that people tend to assess yeah. and then, well, there's also feedback. Another one would be feedback, which is, is a good one. Like if you're at work and you want to understand from others, how they perceive your behavior, I do a lot of 360 degree feedback assessments, yeah. uh, in the workplace, but you can either get some kind of assessment to the, where you input the values so that you really are, are, uh, 
informing yourself about how you are or others are inputting the values to give you some feedback or you are trying to test to see how well you do at something. Okay. Uh, and that can also inform you, um, you know, yeah. You mentioned the Strongs and I'd forgotten that I had taken that, but I remember... Mm. I remember being kind of curious about the results that I got. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. wanted it to tell me I needed to be a musician, but it told me I needed to be either a pastor or a bus driver. <laughs> right. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> you know, that is so interesting because it can be frustrating sometimes and you don't get the feedback you want. I mean, like, I, you know, that might bring me to another kind of point here is so the rigor of the assessment. I mean, like. I, you know, no offense to the people who design these kind of little quizzes for the Harry Potter, but you can keep redoing the test to put in different answers to get into the house you want to be in, yeah. you know, and a test like that versus the in inventory, you know, the strong interest inventory, it's, it's pretty solid, yeah. you know, I mean, you can fake it, you know, and say who you're not, but that, what good is that? Right. But yeah. yeah. I don't even think musician was an option on that one. Ah. <laughs> Like if you want to be a musician, you shouldn't even be at the, taking this test. Yeah, like, yeah, just go out and do it, right? <laughs> well, I'm. What, what's really interesting to me is like, there's been a, an enduring kind of fascination that people have with their with the result that they get, and mm -hmm. I've seen it used in ways that I I kind of scratch my head about, like. I remember when I first had Myers-Briggs um, information about myself and about other people, and I started to kind of pigeonhole myself in, in ways that I hadn't done before that. Like, mm. oh, I'm an INFP, so that means that I should be behaving in certain ways. And, and, and you know, it also kind of, I used it as an excuse not to do things. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, I'm an introvert. That means that I probably shouldn't go out, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was really interesting to see, like, I've, I've, I've seen other people use, like, the Myers-Briggs to, to tell people um, that they're not right for a job. Mm -hmm. And it was really actually quite painful and possibly very harmful to the person who was on the receiving end of that to find out that their Myers-Briggs score was used as a reason to let them go from a job. And I don't think that that's the intent that was behind it when it was first made. And it's like, what are the ways that you see people using these kinds of assessments, both appropriately and inappropriately? Well, that's a really good example, Franklin, because, yeah, I mean, something like the Myers-Briggs is not to be used for selection and doesn't have the reliability and validity to uh, predict if somebody will be successful at a job. Um, but it does have great utility uh, in terms of interacting with people. And, uh, but, you know, I think the point you're trying to make is that if, if somebody just hands you a test and tells you something and, and maybe gives you some information based on it, um, that, that maybe you're not uh, taking it in the way that it's meant to be used. And so the, the Myers-Briggs is really meant to be used as a way to, uh, as I said before, interact with people and understand that other you might need to shift your way of communicating with others depending on what other people are looking for. And it's, it's also, I mean, when you have these 
four boxes, you know, it's, it can be a little bit, um, maybe sort of black and white where, where there is more gradation there, like introversion, extroversion, actually, yeah. if you look psychologically is not uh, a single dimension that you can have both. Yeah. Okay. And so when you have your either I or E um, on the Myers-Briggs, that's, it's not really an accurate assessment. It's one to help people communicate and understand each other better. But for example, I'm right in the middle. Yeah. I'm right in the middle of, of both. And so I can present as either. And um, it's confusing when you're sort of overlapping. You're not really, you're on the fence. You don't really know. And it can be confusing to others too, because the one time they see you acting one way and they expect you to act a different way, but it's meant to just start the dialogue and talking about that, you know, not necessarily to use the results and stick to them. It's meant to say, okay, well, where do you fit on here? Oh, okay. Well, why? And how do you like to talk to people? How do you like people to approach you? You know, and when you're at work, you have a team member, do you like the big picture? Or are you a detailed person? Do you like to uh, go out and do lunch all the time? Or would you rather stick to your office? And, you know, if you don't want to go out, then I'm not going to take it personally. You don't like me. I'm just realizing, oh, that's just kind of who you are, you know, yeah. but it's, it's meant to initiate those kind of conversations, not prescribe people. And it's certainly not meant to make uh, decisions on where people should work. Yeah. Now, one of the one of the instruments that you've introduced me to is the Strengths Finder, mm -hmm. and I really got a lot out of that in terms of kind of understanding not only not only the primary strengths that I have, but some of the more subtle strengths that I have mm -hmm. that I would have never even recognized within myself. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that tool and 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 how it is applied and how it's brought? You know, what what does that bring to light? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorites. Um, that's actually my current favorite right now. And, you know, that it's actually not meant to be used for selection as well, meaning like hiring, placing people in teams. Um, although it has a lot of rigor behind it, uh, the idea behind the strengths, it's uh, called Strengths Finder or more recently named to Clifton Strengths. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it is, all of the 34 strengths that are on this uh, instrument here um, have been shown to predict performance at work. So no matter which strengths you have, those are the ones that are going to show that actually they do predict performance at work. It doesn't say which job they predict performance. It depends on how you use them. And everybody has a unique way of uh, ordering you know, their strengths. And they talk about unique that I think you're one in 34 million people. Right. So it's yeah. not like, you know, it's, it's actually there since they're 34, you can do the math there and figure it all out, but there, it is for all intents and purposes, unique, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you run into 34 million people, you're a pretty well-connected person, but even that's a large number, right? That's more than I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but some of the reasons I like it and maybe that um, differentiate it from some other instruments, first of all, it was developed by some of the most uh, famous people in the field of personnel psychology, right? They originally developed it as scientific methods, you know, using those uh, it's, it's reliable, valid, and it predicts performance at work. So that's why I use it, you know? Um, but also I love it because it's positive. Yeah. It's all about strengths. The idea isn't that we don't have any weaknesses, 
the idea is that it's much better return on investment investing in your natural talents rather than spending so much more time trying to be good at things that you just don't have a natural ability at. You know, we're joking about musicians earlier. It could be anything, right? But that's just one that people get. Like if you if you really don't have an aptitude, you can work really hard and get one, but that's going to be maybe more time than it's worth to you. You might be better at something else, you know, yeah. maybe storytelling or, you know, uh, sports or, you know, science or something like that. So go with where your strengths are. Um, and, uh, let's see, another reason is that it's very accessible to people. Like you said, you got it, you read it, you understood it, and it really brought some interesting information to you, you know, that uncovered some, some subtleties that maybe you hadn't noticed before. And, um, it's also inexpensive, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually accessible to people because some of the instruments I use for, you know, placement and stuff, I mean, it's their hundreds and thousands of dollars, you know, to do yeah. these things that in the workplace, but ones that people just enjoy, uh, this is, this is reasonably priced for just an, any person to, to take. And, um, uh, it's fun to work with because people really learn a lot about themselves. And you asked originally in this whole podcast about why do people use assessments and so much about it is learning about yourself. Yeah. And it's so empowering to learn something about yourself, a strength that you have that you didn't realize that you had, or a way to apply it in a way you didn't realize you could apply it. That is just a wonderful thing to be able to help people learn. Very good. Mm-hmm. I, I think we've spoken before. One of the assessments that I've taken in the last couple of years that was really impactful for me was the Colby, mm-hmm. where they talk about your modus operandi and um, it's been kind of a, a, a hot topic in the entrepreneurial realm the last few years. Um, talk a little bit more about like, what are your favorites? What are the ones that you turn to again and again and again? And where, where are they relevant? You know, what, what do they point to? The uh, types of assessment instruments. Yeah, just give, it, yeah. give me an idea yeah. of the, sure. the ones that are in your toolbox that you just mm-hmm. use all the time. Mm-hmm. Strengths is definitely one of them, the Clifton Strengths. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorites. Yep. Um, I use, well, it depends on what I'm doing. I mean, career coaching, I definitely use the Strong Interest Inventory. It's actually surprisingly reliable, valid, and useful. Um, it gives, I mean, because you think like, Anyone can say what they're interested in, but this is actually, it really can point you to some useful information. Um, When I get into working with uh, leaders at work, I do a lot of 360 degree feedback. And that's, uh, you know, I use a a few different kinds of uh, tools that are out there, you know, uh, SVI, there's an EQI, different ones, depending on what they want to focus on. Um, But uh, also you can just do interviews, you know, sometimes I do that too. But that's just a way to convey feedback to people from others. Um, and then uh, when I do like personality, uh, the Hogan uh, suite of instruments is what one of my favorites currently. Uh, but that's like I was saying, it's a very rigorous uh, set of instruments and um, they're, you know, a little more expensive and usually, you know, I use them at high level leaders and executives, 
because uh, that helps also identify derailers, as you say, yeah. uh, things that can, uh, when a, a leader can really do some serious damage to an organization because, you know, they have a lot of power uh, and influence and uh, they can make decisions that can maybe be too risky or self-centered, things like that. So those yeah. kind of things. Um, and then, you know, in terms of abilities, one of them that I do is uh, an assessment center. Um, and that is not a place, but more of a thing. Mm -hmm. And that's like a, a battery of assessments where you observe people doing simulations, uh, business simulations to see them in action, how they lead a meeting, how they present, how they make decisions, how they respond to crisis situations, uh, as well as like paper and pencil, as you used to call them, but like, you know, electronic tests, you know, like the Hogan and, yeah. um, and others. Um, but, um, that would also include some measure of cognitive ability, typically like how well people can solve problems, um, and emotional intelligence. That's another one that I do a lot of. And that one, I, I like the mesquite. It's a Meyer Solovey Caruso test, um, because that's an abilities based test of emotional intelligence, but there yeah. are other ones that are self-report measures as well. And you can get 360 degree feedback, like the EQI uh, is a, a, a 360 degree feedback typically of uh, emotional intelligence. And the Hogan's also have an emotional intelligence one too. Very so good. those are my, my standbys. It's a good handful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the other hand, let's talk about what are some of the um, personality things that are floating around that should be taken with a grain of salt if mm. taken at all. Oh boy. I hope I don't get into any trouble for saying some I'm, of these things. I'm setting you up to get in trouble here. I know, <laughs> but I'll, I'll well, be there with you. Okay. All right. So, you know, um, the thing to look out for, if you ever really want to learn about an assessment is look at the reliability and the validity, right? So the reliability is one. That means if you take it multiple times, you get the same, you know, typical profile, right? It doesn't depend on your mood or, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, faking it. I mean, if you're taking it for yourself, that's probably not as much of an issue, right? If you're taking a personality, like for a job, you want to make sure that it's, it's not easily fakeable or cheating on it, that, those kind of things. Um, but uh, some of the ones that, that are more just for fun that people enjoy would be like an Enneagram, for yeah. example. Um, and it's, it's interesting and, you know, it, it sparks great conversation like the Myers-Briggs, you know, it does. It, uh, but for selection, that can be problematic because it doesn't have the science behind it and the, the testing rigor that would stand up in court. Yeah. So, um, and the reasons to look out for that would be, uh, again, if there's bias in it, if people of different protected groups by the civil rights act, you know, um, or are treated differently or have different responses, um, that, that can get you in a lot of trouble yeah. and, and you, you know, those kind of things. Um, that's a good example. And, um, I I'm, I'm trying to think of others that I stay away from usually a lot of the pop, pop ones that are out there, <laughs> <laughs> they're fun and they're informative, but you know, if you want to do it for yourself and have uh, interactions, but making hiring decisions is not okay. Well, where would you put a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff anyway? 
I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> I had a lot of fun and that was like my daughter. So when it said that to me, right. Yeah. And then I, luckily I, I landed in the right house so that she would still speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the sorting hat. Yeah. What, what can I do with the sorting hat? <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. On, I'm not on the Quidditch team. Leave me alone. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a good use for a lot of these assessments. And, you know, if you want to talk about quizzes and all that, too, I mean, just even the results aren't necessarily as important as the process of taking it and thinking about something that can help a person discover more about themselves or what they want. Yeah. Right. So that, to me, I think is also a, a very a valid reason for taking one. Well, that's a nice lead into the next area that I'd like to talk about. And that is, there is such a huge craze on using quizzes now, mm -hmm. um, in particular for businesses and, and things like that as a way of, you know, making connection with potential customers or clients. And, um, like even this week, uh, Ryan Levesque is doing his big quiz funnel, um, mm -hmm thing and it's just like i don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people are signed up for his thing right now but there are a lot of folks who want to use quizzes to to help bring people into their business or to bring them into their organization and i'd be curious to hear like you just said if you can make the quiz something that, that just gives people an opportunity to think about themselves how can people how can people construct quizzes that will do that Oh, there are several different ways you could do that. Um, and I, I think that, let's see, there's sort of like open-ended questions where people can just sort of fill it in and then sort of uh, get back what they put in and in, in the different categories to get them just sort of thinking about it. There's no right answer. Yeah. Um, but there are also ones that can sort you, you know, maybe not into the, the houses, but sort you into different um, directions, maybe, um, you know, I was just thinking about it. For example, I want to paint the inside of my house and I'm trying to figure out what colors to put in and what to avoid. And I don't really know. I don't have an expertise in that area. So if I went on a site and they had a quiz, like, you know, what kind of ambiance or feeling do you want, you know, like warm, uh, cozy, or are you looking for, you know, fancy or, you know, uh, soothing or, you know, whatever it is, fun, dynamic. And I could put in some of those answers and it would tell me these are the color schemes you should look at. I'd be very happy, you know, to say, oh, okay. And I'm already going to buy the paint. So it's not like someone's dragging me in to, to do something I don't want to do. Yeah. I'm just, they're help guiding me into a direction that I would like to take. So something like that, I think is, uh, a way if, if you can get those kind of answers and then categorize them, uh, you know, that's not necessarily a psychological quiz, you know, right. I mean, I focus more on psychology. Um, but uh, the other things that can help people, um, you know, get thinking about themselves is asking the right questions, right? Okay. Right. So uh, it doesn't matter as much what the answers are, but if someone leaves the quiz going, wow, I hadn't thought about that before, and they keep thinking about it, that's a way to get them really, you know, deciding, hmm, maybe I should inquire more because here's somebody who knows what kind of questions to ask or what, you know, to get uh, me talking about, I, I need to know more. 
So, you know, putting together some really snazzy results, I mean, maybe you don't need to spend as much time on that. It's more a matter of getting people to reflect. So the discovery piece, as well as the reflection piece, I think are, are good ones. Do you have a way that, that you would arrive at good questions? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so there are things to avoid, for okay. example, uh, in questions. I mean, um, asking too much in one question, too much information. We call this like an assessment in psychology is like double barrel questions, for example. Like, um, you know, uh, let's see, do you like to jog in the park or uh, eat breakfast outside or or it could be like, do you like to jog in the park and eat breakfast outside and have a glass of wine with dinner? Well, what happens if you just like one of those things? You know, that's very confusing, you know? Um, or if you do just one, does that make a difference? I don't know. So those kind of things when you're asking too much information. Um, there are other ones where you're uh, anchoring people in certain ways, right? How does that so, show up? Oh, that might show up. Let's say if you're asking somebody, for example, uh, how many cups of coffee a week do you drink, right? And if yeah. you have something like zero to one, one to two, two to four, more than five, um, then you're sort of suggesting that it's probably not very good to drink much coffee and people might be embarrassed to say that they drink more, so they might under-report, or it may not give you the information you need if everyone's checking up more than five, because they have one every day, it doesn't really give you any information, right? Because yeah. like, why did you ask the question if everyone's going to have the same answer? So those are, you know, some things. So thinking carefully about making sure you're going to get a variety of responses to a question that it is actually distinguishing among different options um, would be one way uh, to make sure that it's it's a good question, not one that's that's useless. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things there that that would be uh, you would want to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably. I can go on and on and right. on. I know, so I like I have to stop myself and say, "All right, I don't want to like so." Yeah. Well, I think that's you know it's just a really good point that thinking about the questions is really an important piece of this. I I do feel like that you know so many of the the classes that I've seen and taken on developing quizzes put a lot on the results they they talk more about the results and then the questions kind of lead toward a, a specific mm -hmm. result or not mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting to hear you talk about the importance of the questions themselves and the process of thinking about the questions being an important consideration yeah right i mean the sort of garbage in garbage out philosophy, right? If you don't have good questions, you're not going to get good results. Yeah. And that is actually the first step. And there's a lot of information out there on the internet on how to design questions. But I mean, if you wanted to get really serious, you'd want to, again, look at valid, reliable information on the internet about how to do this, right? And yeah. books on assessment that are out there. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we didn't mention in your intro is that you're also a podcast host for Reinventing Nerds. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that I would have, and this is just a hypothetical, this isn't even close to reality, is like if you were trying to screen guests for your podcast, what kind of a quiz would you put together to screen them? That's a great question. 
you know, quiz, uh, sort of an intake form versus a quiz. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see a couple of things that come up for me on reinventing nerds is first of all, are you actually a nerd? Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and that's like, how do you describe that? Right. Um, but, uh, essentially, um, the, the types of people that I typically have on there are, are leaders in uh, STEM, for example, or other um, environments where people tend to be very technical. Um, and so a quiz would be about, uh, you know, uh, perhaps some of their, uh, what they do, you know, what their job is and uh, what their experience is, um, but their personality might be part of it too. Um, their interests and what they like to do. Um, and also what they've learned. I mean, because for me on my podcast, I want to know that people actually have learned something or how much, how willing they are to talk about those kind of things and their struggles. Because we usually try to get into some real conversations about challenges that people have had. So openness to talking and, and sharing. Um, how would you and, be able to tell if they were an interesting guest or not? Mm, um, well, you know, that's, that's a, uh, it's a sort of a difference here between a quiz and an intake An intake would be somewhat of an open-ended, like, tell me a little bit of your story or your paragraph or, um, a little bit about you, but in terms of a quiz, um, Let's see, I would probably go to behaviors okay. rather than personality, right? So behaviors and experiences, like uh, what uh, kinds of things have you done or experienced? And um, um, yeah, and then maybe the type of way they like to share information, their communication style would be a little bit too, because if somebody only likes written, they probably better be, uh, be a better blog, uh, guest yeah. than a podcast <laughs> guest. Right. You know, if they like to talk about it, um, and maybe some of the feedback that they've gotten, uh, on, from others. Right. So sometimes people aren't always as aware of themselves, but if, if somebody else has been telling them like, uh, you know, they have great conversation skills or something like that, then, you know, like, uh, what is your, what do your friends say about you, your significant others, people at work, those kinds of things yeah. uh, would be, would be an interesting kind of question too. Would you ask questions like Star Wars, Star Trek, Dune, or? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a great question, Franklin, because that assumes they are a nerd, right? And that, that could be one that if they didn't have, or like, you know, to check in to see if, you know, that, that they would understand that question would be a great way yeah. of going and that would to, to sort of be a litmus test, I guess you would say. Um, but those are kind of questions that would be great to get information, to be able to talk to them about too, on, on the podcast, right. Yeah. You find out that they are more of a star Wars fan. Then you could bring in some interesting, uh, star Wars factoids or, uh, references. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, one of the things that we don't have time to do today, but I think it would be fun to do um, at some point. I mean, we could, I could take the Strengths Finder again, and I could actually, you know, pay for the for the big results package so that I could mm. understand it. But one of the things that we could possibly do is get back together again, and then we could go through my results with each other, 
and you could kind of help me understand and interpret what it all means. Would that be interesting to you? Yeah, sure. That would be a lot of fun. That'd be great. Well, let's figure it out. The last thing that I wanted to cover in, in our time today is you are a one person business. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to hear a little bit about what drives you in that direction and what are the things that you love about it? And what are the things that are difficult about it? Uh, okay. I'll tell you, it didn't start out as a one person business. Flexible work solutions actually started out as a partnership. Um, but then I guess in that regard, it was a matter of, uh, what made sense in the business to do in terms of expertise and, um, um, we ended up uh, going different directions. Um, and I've also had people on board who are other consultants and that kind of uh, work that I do, similar kind of work. And uh, found that, I guess, sort of the nature of flexible work solutions is we do a lot of different things. And over the years, it's uh, better to have people who you can pull in for different types of projects rather than staying on board the full year around and, uh, so I, I have partners, like strategic partners that I work with instead of trying to have employees. Um, so that drove me to just say it, uh, it's easier to, to be sort of a, a one-person business uh, collaborating with others. And as I said before, I'm uh, sort of on the fence of introvert-extrovert. So on some of this, I love being, I love being alone. I love working and thinking and uh, learning and creating, but I do get very lonely if I'm yeah. doing it all alone. So I, I may not be your ideal candidate for a, a one person business in, in the, like saying, I just, I love it. Uh, the way I make it work for me is to collaborate a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, it's one of my favorite things to do. I find people to work with on different projects. I get involved with different organizations, uh, where I can interact with others. And the nature of my work is very interactive too. I mean, I'm coaching and, and consulting. So I'm in meetings a lot with people. Yeah. So that's, that's a way that I make it work for me. And, it, um, and I enjoy it. Uh, when I just finished a book, we were going to talk about that. Um, that is a very isolating experience <laughs> to be writing a book and, you know, I need to take breaks to do that, you know, because yeah. otherwise I, I sort of pull my hair out. That's an example of something that's a little bit overdone. If it's too much, it's not comfortable. Is it too soon to tell people about the book or should we, should we wait until it's a little closer to being published? Oh, I can mention it. It just went to production just Very yesterday. Good. Yes. It's uh, the American Psychological Association is publishing it, the APA. And it is called Consulting to Technical Leaders, Teams, and Organizations. Building uh, It's building leadership in STEM environments. So uh, it's part of the, the Consulting Psychology Series for the APA. And it's coming out in January 2022. So it takes a long time to yeah. produce a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very exciting. And I just couldn't be happier for you that yeah. you had the opportunity to do it. Um, this yeah. has been, a, this has been a total blast. I, I've loved the conversation and it has been really intriguing. And like I said, I think that there's probably more for us to talk about. So, uh, let's, let's find another time and continue the conversation. 
Absolutely. I can talk about the strengths all day long. So yeah. uh, I'll try to keep it brief, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> well, knowing me, it's probably not going to be very long. <laughs> but uh, again, Joni Connell, uh, FlexibleWorkSolutions.com is the website. Um, and Re Reinventing Nerds is the podcast. I would encourage you to check out both of them. Uh, anything else you want to let people know about before we finish up? I think we've covered it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a treat. Thank you, Joni. Thanks. People who work alone aren't antisocial, at least not most of us. If people think you're weird because you don't want to grow a big company and you'd rather spend most of your time working by yourself, you're just hanging around the wrong people. Your own best company has a Facebook group that you're invited to join right now. We understand the urge to close the door, let your imagination run wild, and stay there until your creative impulse runs its course. We also understand the features and challenges that go along with running a business to support our solo flight lifestyles. Joining the group is free and it's as easy as clicking the link in the channel description. So go there now and just join the group. Want to hear more where this came from? Subscribe to your own best company on your favorite podcast app or on the Franklin Taggart Coaching and Consulting YouTube channel. To get in touch with Franklin, send an email to yobc at franklintaggart.com. Thanks for listening.